following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7009-1000. All right, good morning. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 down to verse 4 together this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 down to verse 4. Let's read together. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture an admonition of the Lord. To God for his word. King David was an amazing king. Absolutely amazing king. Started off, we find him in 1 Samuel, we find him as a shepherd boy, just in a field, meek, quiet, not trying to push himself to the forefront. As he comes into power as the king of Israel, we see him engage the Jebusites in battle and run them out of what will become Jerusalem. He establishes the nation's capital in Jerusalem in such a way that to this day, Jerusalem is still called the city of David. He whipped the Philistines so bad they never were recorded as a threat again to Israel. He was an amazing king. He was a terrible dad. Horrid. If you look at his life and the life of his children, one son raped the daughter. Another son kills the rapist. Another few years go by, and a son commits treason, raises up an an army against his dad, rebels, creates civil war, and ends up dead himself. When David comes to his dying days, he's on his deathbed, and another son, Adonijah, raises up to try to usurp the throne again. Great king, terrible dad. You know what that tells me? It tells me that it's very possible to be really good at some things and completely miss the ability to be a parent. I have a feeling that if we were to interview Amnon and Tamar and Absalom and Adonijah, I have a feeling that they would have wished that David the dad had been half of what he had been as David the king. 
Can I challenge us this morning as we come into our sermon for today, can I challenge us to begin to think multi-generational? Don't just think, oh, all I have to do is raise these kids and then I'll send them off and I hope that they do well in their days. God hasn't called us to that, brothers and sisters. God has called us, think, multi-generational. I'll be honest with you this morning, church. I don't care. I don't care if I can be a good pastor and a gifted speaker. And if God opens a door and someday, by His grace alone, I become a millionaire. But if I don't have grandkids that love Jesus, I've failed. Guys, let's think multi-generational. This hits home for me right now in this stage of my life. Because three weeks from now, by God's grace, three weeks from now, I'll walk my oldest daughter Ariel down an aisle and a question will come from the preacher at the pulpit. Who gives this girl to be married? I'll have one part in that whole wedding. I will say, her mother and I Give her to be married. And in that moment, I will transfer her spiritual headship from me to her husband. And her husband will become her spiritual head. He will be the one that is responsible for her and for my grandchildren. And my voice in her life will switch from being dad to being by invitation spiritually. Oh, I will be able to see them make choices, but my voice in their lives will be by invitation only. So I have a moment right now as I realize I have three weeks left to speak spiritual truth into the life of my daughter. Just a few weeks ago, I spoke with Hannah. She went back with Becky a few days ago. I got to speak with Hannah, and I spoke with Hannah with tears as I shared with her my greatest dream and my greatest hope is that my grandchildren will walk in truth, loving Jesus. That's what I mean by think multi-generational. And as we talk about these things today, we talk about the topic of helping our children through this process, I hope that we will begin to do better at preparing them for marriage. I think that unfortunately we as parents have traditionally, especially in this generation, have just buried our heads in the sand and hoped that this problem will solve itself. It won't. It won't solve itself. We have been given a mandate by God to raise our children after the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I hope you heard that in the Scripture this morning. After the nurture and admonition of the Lord, this is in our hands. And specifically, that's to us as fathers. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, provoke them not to wrath, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is your responsibility, fathers, to help them through this process. The day will come when she has to choose a husband. There's a day will come when he will choose a wife. And if you wait until the last second to try to speak into it, it'll be too late. 
This should be a lifelong process. And so if you're here this morning and you have children who are right at that age, listen, I'll give you some tips this morning. I'll do my best to help you. But if your children are young, oh, blessings upon you, brother and sister. You get years to do this. I hope you'll take them to heart. As I look at the topic and I think through, why is it that we have not done this well? I think maybe there's a couple of reasons that we haven't done it well. Maybe, perhaps it's because of shame. Maybe we didn't do it well ourselves. And we're afraid to speak into it because we're afraid that from a point of shame, if I speak into it, maybe they're going to question how I did it. Perhaps they know how I did it. And I just don't want to go there. That's a great opportunity to teach our children that God forgives sin. Don't let shame drive your life. Acknowledge sin. Teach our children that God forgives and that there's a better way. Don't let shame drive you. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're afraid that if I go into this conversation with my child, especially if they're into their teen years or early 20s, Maybe you're afraid that if I go into this conversation that I'm going to cut off the ability to have a conversation. Oh no, can I encourage your heart this morning? A very difficult conversation now can bear fruit for many years to come. Don't look at it and say, well, I'm afraid of it. If they see your heart and you have a lifelong experience of speaking love into the life of your children, even those difficult conversations for a moment will be difficult, but for a long term will bear fruit. So I hope it's not out of fear or out of shame that you've shied away, or maybe out of ignorance. Maybe we want to steer our children in the right direction, but we just don't know how. I hope that that's, if that's the case, I hope that today can be of help for you. Let's be honest, church. Culture has a very different definition of marriage than the church does. Culture has a very different. And please don't hear me saying that cultural heritage is bad. I'm not saying that at all. We represent dozens in this room, dozens of different cultural backgrounds. But let's be honest with ourselves. The way that culture is playing out today is not the same as what culture was before. So what we have today, please be careful of tagging that and calling it our cultural heritage. No, that's just where culture is today. All of us with an honest heart, would be able to look back at there was a proper way to go about marriage traditionally. But that's not what we're doing now. Today, culture is calling marriage something like the two become flesh, and then we call it marriage. That's not what Scripture calls it. Scripture says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. When a man leaves his father and mother, guess what? Father and mother know it. Just because he slipped out of the house in the middle of the night and went and cleaved to his wife does not make them married. For just as easily as that can happen, it can also unhappen. There's no commitment there. 
So let's be careful about defining it as physical intimacy is marriage. It is not. The Bible calls that fornication. For if there was not such a thing as fornication, we would just say every time someone had physical intimacy, they were married. We all know that's not the case. And so let's be careful about defining marriage by what society says. Instead, let's define marriage the way that Scripture defines it. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. So they are now married, and it is well known. If I can just give some advice, this is not Bible, but I think it might help some of our young people. Could I encourage you, strongly consider getting married in church. There's nothing in the Scripture that says that. But strongly consider getting married in church. I'll tell you why. Because when you make a commitment in front of other people, it will do a lot for you later on when you decide that you want to change your mind. And every single one of us that's married here knows that there's no such thing as happily ever after. Every single one of us that's married knows that there will be a day when you've got to work on this. There's going to be a day when you're just tempted to just throw in the towel and walk away. But if you've made a commitment before God and men, oh, you will be slow to walk away from that commitment. That's why I say it's so very dangerous to just follow society's view of marriage. For if all you did was just slip into her house, it will be very easy for you to just slip back out. And so maybe it would happen here in the church or perhaps green light. Do it at Nature Park or at Koitaki or do it at a waterfall or clean the backyard and do it at the house and invite your friends. But at some point in front of other people, make a commitment. I'm going to marry this one till death do us part. Within society today, legally, there are three ways that marriage is recognized within our society today. There is marriage that is just commonly known. I call it commonly recognized marriage. In other words, a couple moves in together, everybody in the house line, all sabe, all same, all married. There was never any ceremony, there was never any paperwork, it's just that's the way it is. Most of us would be most familiar with that type. As I've already said, when it's that easy to put it together, it's that easy to drop it off. That's what I want to push against. There's no documentation. There's no, nothing that says, oh, I'm really married. And that's why we see this change in vocabulary that I mentioned last week where we're now saying, I'm with my partner in a relationship instead of this is my wife who I'm going to take care of and protect until I die. Let's push back against that one. The second type of marriage within our society is one that is marriage by custom. In other words, there is an actual some type of ceremony. That can happen in the church. That can happen within the village setting. You do bride price. All of the different ways, but it happens culturally in front of other people. Everybody recognizes it. The two families come together. I'll send down straight to him. That's marriage by custom. That is not, by the way, that is not legal documentation. So you still, if you got married by custom, nothing wrong with that, if you got married by custom, you still have to go to the NID office, 
Have them go through the paperwork, and then they will sign off, give you a marriage certificate. You carry that to the bank, and now your accounts can be jointly added. He leaves you, ladies. He leaves you. You still, you still own all of his belongings. That's important for you to remember. I'm going to kiss him second, Mitty. You still have his car. Log that away, ladies, because that's important for you to remember. He says, oh, I don't really think that we have the time to go down to the NID office. Your next question is, how much do you really love me? Make it real. Put his feet to the fire. The third way, by the way, in the second one, even though I am not a now recognized celebrant yet, and by the way, isn't it a shame that we have, in the last parliament sitting, we had six independent Baptist members of parliament, six, and yet we probably have fewer than five licensed independent Baptist celebrants. We have fewer celebrants in the nation than we had members of parliament. That should be saying something to us about a problem and a breakdown in society. Leave it with me. I'm pushing hard there. I hope you can tell that from last week's sermon and this week's. We can do the wedding here. It would be just the same as if you did it at a waterfall and your dad recognized it. It doesn't matter. Still, that paper that I give you, you carry to NID, they will process a marriage certificate. The third option is marriage by celebrant. So that would be a celebrant is here. If God would allow one day within the next thousand years, I could get that license. I would do it and I would sign it off. Done. You don't have to go to NID. I do. I just carry it in, turn it in for you. Or you can go straight to NID and do it yourself. They have a celebrant that's there at the NID office. One day a month, when all the planets are aligned, everybody gets their celebrant, uh, celebrant signature at the same time. I highly recommend for our young people, and I'm saying this publicly because I want our young people to hear this, I care about you. And I have seen too many times young man, young lady get together, working on something, hide, and then later on, he decides he's going to go find somebody else, leaves her with a child, and nothing. She has nothing. And so that's why I recommend, highly recommend, you want to get married? Come get married in the church. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will love you, and they will celebrate with you the fact that you are getting married. This is a good thing. It's advice. Again, that's not Bible. It's just some advice. I hope that you will take that to heart. And please, young men, don't make excuses about it. Don't make excuses. Don't skip it and just start sleeping together and expect everybody to accept you as being married. You were man enough to go to her house and get her. Be man enough to stand in front of everybody and tell them, I'm marrying her. I'm going to take care of her till death do us part. So we cannot back away from this conversation, brothers and sisters. We can't back away from this conversation. We have to engage in it with our children. And I'll just go ahead and give you a glimpse. In just a moment, I'll jump into our sermon and the scripture for it. I'm going to give you a glimpse of today's invitation. What I would love to see at the end of our service today is for families to come around the altar. I'm going to give an invitation at the end. I'm going to invite you. If you're a dad, you find your children... If they're with you, great. If they're sitting somewhere away from you, get up and go get them when we come to invitation time. 
And I'm going to ask you to bring your children around the altar. And I'm going to ask you to pray a blessing over your own children. Your children need to hear you praying a blessing over them. You're a single mom. You're here as a single mom with your children. Dad's not here. It's okay. You can pray a blessing over your children. Maybe if you're here and you don't have your parents here, maybe you can pray, God, help me to remember the things that I'm taught today. Because I want to think multi-generational. If you're unable physically to make it down to the altar at the end of the service, I understand. But I would ask that you pray over your children. For we need to do this well. I want to talk to us today about helping our children through the process. Last Sunday, I had one very important thing to say about finding a spouse and the fact of dating. I hope you remember the only reason to date someone is to find out whether you're going to marry them. It's the only reason. If you're 12 years old, you don't need to be dating. Leave that for later. The only reason to date someone is to find out if this is the one that you should be marrying. And those who you would be marrying, we put it under two categories. First, evidently a believer. And second, they're exhibiting Christ-likeness. If that boy or that girl is not showing Christ-likeness and is not evidently a believer, just write them off as ineligible. And it doesn't matter how pretty she is and it doesn't matter how well he rolls up that trouser leg. Off limits. For you will only be leading yourself into a life of heartache. Next week, I plan to speak on you, speak to you on the topic of a treasure map for those that are searching. So young people, come with your ears open and your pen ready to write. I'll identify some red flags next week, some things that you should be looking for. Perhaps you're in a relationship that you need to break off. How can you do it? We'll talk about that next Sunday. We're in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Our scripture reading came from chapter 6. We'll be there in just a moment. But Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the longest passage in all of scripture that it deals with marriage. Talks about the husband and his roles, the wife and her roles. Then it comes into chapter 6, the father's roles, the children's roles. Our longest passage in all of scripture that talks about the family. I want you to look quickly at chapter 5 and verse 32 because the model is not society, it's not the Western influence, it's not our background, our cultural heritage. The model is for the believer, Christ in the church. See it in chapter 5 and verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Our model is how did Christ interact with the church. And that's what our model should be like for us within the home. How should we interact, husband and wife? So as I talk this morning about helping our children through this process, I'm going to give you three points. The first one would be this one. Present, mom and dad, this is what you need to be doing, present a godly example of what things should look like. So if we're going to help our children to navigate this process of getting a spouse Mom and dad, you need to be modeling this for them. This is not something that you live one way and tell them to do a different way. They will learn by watching. You might understand this phrase, more is caught than taught. 
They will catch it by watching how you act. So you need to be providing a godly example of what things should look like. So there's two of them, uh, one for the wives, one for the husbands. I'll do it very quickly. Look at wives, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Last week I mentioned the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31 talks about the virtuous woman. If you want to know, wives, what you should be aspiring to, Proverbs 31 outlines very clearly, the virtuous woman builds up her house with her hands. Twice, in the latter part of the book of Proverbs, twice it makes this statement, it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a, with a brawling woman in a wide house. So the opposite of building up the house with your hands would be tearing down the house with your words. It's no mistake that in the book of Hebrews, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, that God speaks to the wives as being in a position of submission because when the wives bring tearing down with their words, the house becomes divided. Can you get this image? How many of us have experienced this maybe in the home with your parents or perhaps you're in the house now and your mom is this way? Uh, how many of us have experienced this? Mom goes on that tirade. How much time am I talking to you? You know what I mean? You would rather get a ladder, stand a ladder up to the house, climb up to the top, sit in a corner, and get in a fetal position and just stay there. Somebody let me know when it's all over with and I'll come back to the house. You know what I'm talking about? It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a wide house with a brawling woman. So ladies, remember, God gave you a gift. The book of James calls it a very little member. That's your tongue. And oh, how it has the ability to tear down the home. So be careful. And here's what I'm trying to get at. Model well what this should look like. That is, by the way, generational. Dad's anger is generational. Most of the time when I do counseling with a young man who has anger issues, the very first thing I ask them, tell me about your dad. Almost every time a man that has anger issues, his dad had anger issues. That's a generational sin. Ladies, Watch with your words the way you model. How do I speak within my home? Are my words salted with grace? Or are my words tearing down the house? Be careful. I came from a, the South in America. We had a phrase like this. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I'll make that simple English. Mom, you set the tone. You set the tone of the house. And if you're setting a tone that says things need to be divisive, guess what your daughter is going to carry into her marriage? Divisiveness. And, and if you're setting a tone that's divisive, guess what you're doing for your sons? You're setting up for your sons to think that that's just the way that marriage life should be. If we're going to help our young people to do this well in their marriages, we've got to model it well in our marriages. For the husbands, verse 25. 
Oh, wait, hold on just a second. Since we're talking about moms talking, can I just encourage, just this side, t- side tip, moms, talk to your daughters about what they need in a husband and talk to them about what they want. Have those conversations. Sweetie, this is what you need. You need to have a man who is evidently a believer and he needs to be exhibiting Christ-likeness. You have that conversation with her when she's 10, she will remember it. And that gives you an open door to have it when she's 11 and when she's 12 and when she's 13 and when she's 15 and when she's 17 and when she's 21. Have the conversation. This is what you need. And then have the conversation. Be open. What does she want? So what do you mean by that, Pastor? You like him? man by light skin? Long You like a short guy? Have those conversations. Because if for 10 years she's been saying, I want a strong leader type, and she brings home some meek guy, you're going to be scratching your head and it's going to give you an open door to say, but I thought that you were looking for this kind. If you don't ever have that conversation when they're young, you don't get to have the conversation when they're old. So set yourself up. That's what this is. Set yourself up when they're 10 so that when you get to them being 20, this is a natural conversation instead of a tambu conversation. Verse 25. Let's talk about the husbands. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So husbands, what can you do in presenting a godly example of what this should look like? Here's what you could do. Love your wife. Love her. Keep your covenant with her. You cheat on your wife, guess what message you just sent to your children? You sent a message that says, I don't really love her. Terrible example. You will lose the opportunity to speak into their lives. I told you at the beginning of the sermon, there's no such thing as happily ever after. It doesn't happen. Only in the fairy tales. And did you ever notice that the fairy tale always ends with they got married and then rode off into the sunset? You never get to see what happened after that. They rode off into the sunset. You know what happens after the sunset? It gets dark. You want the ability to be able to speak into their lives, Mom. You want to be, have the ability to speak into their lives, Dad. So, Dad, what do you do? Love your wife. Even on the hard days, and remember how Christ loved the church, even when we were enemies against Him, He gave Himself for us. He went to the cross on our behalf. So even in those hard times, brothers, love your wife. Continue to love her. Serve her. 1 Peter 3, 7, dwell with her according to knowledge. And by the way, the rest of that verse says that if you don't, God will not hear your prayers. I won't expound that passage, but it might be good for you to write it down. 1 Peter 3, 7, Go and study it later. God will close his ears to you, brother, if you don't take care of your wife. Those are strong words. So how do we model this? Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Your children love their mother. You better love your mother too. So here, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen. Did you ever see... There's a news camera, and the news reporter is standing in front of the camera, and they're talking, and then somebody walks behind the news reporter. Have you ever seen that? 
And you know what they always say? The guy that walks behind the reporter, he looks at the camera, and if he says something to the camera, what do they always say? Hi, Mom. Am I right? They never say, hi, Dad. You know why? Because it's something within every kid. I want Mom to know that I love her. I want mom to know that I care about her. And I made this achievement. How many of you see it when the kid comes home from school, runs in with a paper? Look, mom, I got a hundred. Look, mom, I did this paper. They might do it for dad, but they're not racing into the house to show it to dad. They're racing into the house to show it to mom. You know what their love is? Their love is being shown to mom. So husbands, love your wife. You don't show the love to your wife in the home. Your kids will see it. You'll never get the ability to speak into their lives. So model this. Be a godly example. And by the way, your marriage, I hope this will be a help, your marriage must come first. Not the kids, not your job. Your marriage must come first. Here's what I mean by that. I've seen this happen many times. Junior does something wrong. Mom spanks Junior. Dad, in the other room, hears Mom spank Junior, and what does Dad do? You already know what I'm getting ready to say, don't you? Dad comes running and whacks Mom. Don't hit the kids like that. Don't do that. And pick any blumilla. You want us all come up here more. That's my child. You're not allowed to do that. Come on, guys. And picking any blong, mipla. That's our child. Now, for a moment of transparency, if she was going above and beyond, okay, it's good to speak into it, but not right there in front of the kid. Maybe go off to the side. Hey, sweetie, can we go for a walk? Not you say now you make it. No. Come on, guys. We're not modeling this well. You're not loving your wife as even yourself. You're putting your child before your marriage. Your marriage comes first. And let me help you with why this is so important. Your marriage comes first, then your children come after the marriage. If you put your children before the marriage, guess what happens when they get married? They'll put their children in front of their marriage. They won't model well. They'll never get a chance to speak into the lives of your grandchildren. I'm telling you, you put your children in front of your marriage, you're one generation away from your kids don't love Jesus. I can draw a straight line to that. Put your marriage first. Never in Scripture do you see husbands love your children even as yourselves, even as Christ gave Himself for His children. No! Love your wife. Your wife comes first. Guys, that's not culture speaking. That's Scripture speaking. Put your wife first. I won't take the time on job. I hope that you're not putting your job before your marriage. Put your marriage first. Then, your children. So we're going to be a godly example. If I'm going to help my children in this process of being a good spouse, I need to model it well. Secondly, be a... I'll use these words and then I'll explain them. Be the visible representation of God's authority in their life. 
That phrase is not original with me. Paul Tripp is the one that gave that phrase, a visible representation of God's authority. And I'll explain this. This is so important. God has placed you as their authority. See it in Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now notice, this is a command, young people. Don't let culture tell you that it's okay to disobey your parents. Rebellion, the Old Testament tells us, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I don't think any of us want to go down that path. So don't be rebellious. Instead, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Now, verse 2. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I hope that you listen to those words in verse 4. Fathers, it is your God-given responsibility to be their head and to lead them. It's not mom's responsibility biblically. It is dad's. Did you see that? Fathers, provoke not your children, but bring them up. Don't knock them down build them up. And build them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the things that you teach them now, they will remember for the rest of their lives. I'll give an example of this. When I was growing up, uh, my dad and my mom had some rules in the house. There were certain things like I had to eat my vegetables. I wasn't allowed to eat ice cream. Wasn't allowed to watch TV. Had to go to bed by 10 o'clock. I didn't like those rules. I remember being, some of you are going to really get shocked here. I was 17 years old and still got a spanking from my dad. Some of you are getting shocked because you could never spank your 17-year-old son. I think a lot of that had to do, please don't hear me saying, oh, I was such a humble child. It had a lot, lot to do with there's a lot of respect between a dad and his son when he tells his son, I'm going to have to spank you at 17 years old. My brother David got a spanking on the day before he got married. You know my dad. He's not a bellhop man. But there's a lot of respect between a father and a son when you can do that. Fathers, it's our responsibility to train them up. And so here I was at a bedtime at 10 o'clock. You better be in bed. Don't eat ice cream. Don't watch TV. Eat your vegetables. Guess what? I got married. First thing I did, me and Becky... We stayed up 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock every night. Hallelujah. We were free. We can do what we want to. I ate ice cream every night and watched TV. And I quickly turned into a balloon. <laughs> we were maybe three or four months into our marriage, and I realized I've already put on about 10 kilos. And I said, oh, there's a little bit of wisdom in what mom and dad had been teaching me. I'm going to work tired every day. What's the problem here? And then I realized there was some things that mom and dad had some wisdom in. Then all of a sudden we cut the ice cream out and we cut out the late nights, started policing our own selves. And here's what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. I think it's verse, chapter six, uh, 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. God has placed you, moms and dads, God has placed you in a position of authority in their life. Now, here's what I want you to grasp from this. God put you there 
not so that you would see them, not so that they would see you as their authority for life, but so that they would end up seeing that there needs to be authority in their life. Ultimately, that authority is God Himself. So for you and I who are already married and we don't have mom and dad looking over our shoulder telling us to go to bed at 10 o'clock, we do have an authority in our life and that authority is God Himself. So while a child is still a child, he has an authority and that authority is God, but that authority, God, is channeled through you, dad. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now that authority of God is invisible. You parents are visible. Our children need that visible representation of authority. Here's how Paul Tripp said it. He said, God makes His invisible authority visible by sending parents of authority to exercise authority over children who need authority. Kids need it. Could you imagine if you just didn't speak any authority into your child's life, just let them do what they wanted to do? If you let that happen when they're five you'll never get the opportunity to speak into it when they're 25. So fight your battles when they're young. Here's what I mean by that. When Junior is sitting at the table and he refuses to eat his vegetables, that meal and that argument has nothing to do with vegetables. It has everything to do with who's in charge of my life. Who is my authority? Junior doesn't know that broccoli is going to increase his iron intake in his body. He doesn't understand that. He has not studied diet, and he hasn't decided that the keto diet is best for him this week. He doesn't have any idea about this stuff. All he cares about is, no, you don't tell me when to eat and what to eat. So pick your battles. Do them early. Junior, you're going to sit at this table until you eat that food. And when he falls asleep at the table, carry him up in love, put him in bed, put his food in the fridge, and tomorrow morning when he comes back to the table, put the same broccoli on the same plate in the same place in front of him. Guess what you get to do, Junior? Eat your cold broccoli. Because I'm the authority in your life. God put me here. I know that this is, I know that this is brand new for some of us, guys. But if you don't establish authority when they're young, you've lost it when they're big. You'll never be able to tell them, I don't think that that young man is right for your marriage if you didn't tell them, eat your broccoli when they were little. Establish that authority. Be a visible representation of authority in their lives. Don't back down from it. And and while I'm there, look at Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Dads, this is not something that you wield your own authority as if you're lording over their lives. Remember, it's not your authority, it's God's. See it in verse 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. So there's a wrong way to do it too. It's not, son, put that bite in your mouth. Okay, now take it out. Or put it back in. Take it back out. We're not doing that. That's stupid. And it doesn't have to be just the food. There's many other areas of life that that could apply. Don't do it just to lord over them. But you do need to establish authority. There's a story in the Old Testament of Samuel and Eli. Do you remember that story? And many of us remember the story because of the, the way that God came and spoke to little Samuel. And you remember three times he gets up and goes and talks to Eli. That's the part of the story that we always remember. God spoke to a little kid. But there's a tragedy in that story. The tragedy is this. God didn't speak to the old man. That's the tragedy. You know why God didn't speak to the old man? I'll share with you. Here it is in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13. God says to Samuel, 
I've told him, that's Eli, I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. I hope you can see that. Here's Eli, the high priest of the nation, and God's going to cut him off and all of his family line. We're talking about Aaron down to Eli. That's been a lineage, and it's now going to get cut off. You know why? Because Eli's sons were doing wrong. He knew about it, and he did nothing about it. Oh, brothers and sisters, God has placed us as a position of authority in our children's lives, and we need to be speaking into their lives. Don't wait until they're 15. It's too late. Be speaking into their lives on a daily basis. Raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Be that visible representation of authority in their lives. Number three, we're going to help our children through this process present a godly example of what things should look like. Second, be the visible representation of God's authority in their life. And number three, help your children guard their hearts. Help your children guard their hearts. The first two points are long-term. It will take you 15 years to do point one and point two. Point three happens in those last five years. Help your children guard their hearts. So let me say it like this. Moms and dads, if you haven't done one and two, and your kids are up here at now at point three already, they're grown, and now I have to s- fight. Don't give up. Don't say, well, I didn't do one and two, so I'm just going to have to give up. Brothers and sisters, I would rather fight for my sons and my daughters until the last possible day than just to turn a blind eye and hope that they've learned how to walk on their own. Don't turn them out to the wolves. So fight. If you didn't do one and two well, it's okay. Give it your best shot on three. But if your children are still young, implement one and two for the next 20 years. Make it a part of your life. But then we come to point three. Help our children guard their hearts. Book of Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 and 28 makes this statement. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Here's another way to say that. If you let your heart go there, it won't be long before the rest of your body goes there. If you let your heart go there, it won't be long before the rest of your body goes there. So what do you do? Guard your heart. That's what I mean by moms and dads. We need to be helping our children to guard their heart because they're not ready. They don't know what this looks like. And here is... They see for the very first time, somewhere around 13, 14 years old, somewhere around that point, they see somebody at school and they go, I think I like that one. And when they come home and they mention it, or you get wind of it through a sibling, we all know that's how you get it. <laughs> Sibling's the one that says it. Because they, they talk to each other. And thank God for the one of them that will talk to you. <laughs> and so now you find out about it, don't squash it. This is your chance to talk into it. Hey, Junior, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a ride in the car. Let's go for a visit. We're going to go get some gelato. We don't do that all the time, but Junior, you need some gelato. 
And I need the chance for us on our way there and on our way back to talk. And we're going to sit outside of Vision City and we're going to eat some gelato together. We need to have these conversations guard their hearts. Brothers and sisters, if you let them involve their heart, next thing you know, their heart's already gone. And where your heart goes, the rest of your body will go. You cannot take fire into your bosom and not be burned. It will happen. And so we need to be practical. We need to think through. I'll give you a couple of practical tips. I'll list these off somewhat rapid fire. Some of them I'll stop and talk about. First off, have him ask before dating her. Have him ask before dating her. I worded it that way important because it's not just you're the dad of a girl and you're saying he needs to ask me, but also you are the dad of a boy. Teach him he needs to go and ask before dating. Remember, dating is that part where we find out if this is the one that we're going to marry. So there is a space for young people to spend time together as friends. That's in a larger group, but then the day comes when he sees her, she sees him, and they begin to think, oh, this might be the one. Before you ever start to talk alone, young man, you need to honor her spiritual head. Go and talk to her dad. You say, if I go and talk to her dad, he's going to think that this is really serious, and now we're definitely getting married. No, 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 no. Just be honest with him. It's tragic that we have now waited until it's already her heart is involved, your heart is involved, the two of you have already made your private discussions about what life is going to look like, how many children you're going to have. You've already had all those discussions before you ever involve her parents. That's tragic because mom and dad haven't had a chance to talk into your life. So have him ask her dad. Get permission. You know what that does? It opens and begins the conversations for the dad to be able to shepherd that young man. For just as much as it's important for the young man and young lady to find out if this is right for us, it's just as important for the dad who is her spiritual head before he walks her down an aisle to pass her off. It's just as important for the dad to also be one bell with this. You say, oh, we'll just ask it the last second for permission. Oh, no, no, no. You're back in her spiritual head into a corner, and you might as well be holding a gun to his head because what you're saying to him in essence is, I'm going to marry her whether you like it or not. That's a terrible way to act towards him. You're setting yourself up for terrible relationship with your in-laws. Much better. Teach him to ask before dating her. Practical. Second one, moms and dads, set boundaries, not prohibitions. Set boundaries, not prohibitions. Here's what I mean. A boundary is like a fence. Anybody can knock down a fence. A chain mesh fence, you get some bolt cutters, you can make your way right through it. Barbed wire fence, get a rock, you can knock it down. (laughs) Hey, the great big fence down here at ExxonMobil, if you had a bulldozer, you could make your way through the fence. Boundaries can be broken. But here's what happens with boundaries. Boundaries tell people this is as far as you can come without permission. So set boundaries. 
Moms and dads, this is your responsibility. Have this conversation. When the couple now wants to begin to date, set boundaries. Be very clear with them. This is your boundary. You want to go beyond this, you have to come and talk to me. You need to get permission. I'll give some practical, some things like this. Here's a boundary. You are allowed, the two of you, you are allowed to go to Vision City with a group of friends but you are not permitted, the two of you, to go and watch a movie by yourselves. You see that? That's a boundary. The, the two of you are allowed to go out with your friend who has a car, but you're going to be back here before the sun goes down. You see, that's a boundary. Now, you, mom and dad, set your own boundary. Don't hear me say from the pulpit that it's a sin to come back after, the dark, after dark. But you have your own reasons, security-related reasons, whatever reasons. You have your own reasons. Set boundaries. You might say something like, you're allowed to call on the phone. Young people, listen to this one. You're allowed to call on the phone, but no messaging. You say, Pastor, why is it that you don't want us to be messaging? Well, if you're my child, I know that your messaging will go well into the night and will go to places that doesn't need to go. So pick up the phone. She's on telecom. He's on telecom. Free phone call for as long as you want to talk. And you can talk right here in the living room. And the rest of us can hear part of the conversation. We're not trying to listen in, but you have nothing to hide. Set boundaries. That's what I mean. Set boundaries. Or if you want to allow your child to do messaging, here you go. Here's a boundary. I'm going to let you guys do messaging, but me, Dad, I get to read them anytime I want to. I'm going to come, and you're going to give me your phone. There's no such thing. Brothers and sisters, there's no such thing as this is my private phone, and nobody has the right... Around here, if you're in a part of administration here, you know my password to everything. I have nothing to hide. My laptop's up in the, uh, up in the sound booth right now. Everybody knows my passwords. I have nothing to hide. Why would you be any different? Mom, I'm going to message with him. I won't do it into the night, but you have the right. And mom and dad, when they delete a message, ask about it. Set boundaries. But here's the danger. You set a prohibition. You know what a prohibition is? The prohibition is thou shalt not. Thou shalt not date. You hear, oh, I heard that you were dating this boy or you're wanting to date this boy. You're going to set a prohibition and you're going to stop it. You know what prohibition does? Prohibition creates bootleggers. You know what I mean? How many of you remember the prohibition on beetle nut 2018? You know what I'm talking about? They said, thou shalt not bring beetle nut into the city. You know what we did? Did we run short on beetle nut? Answer, no. But you know what we did? We created a whole bunch of illegal bootleggers. It was coming in in trucks. It was in the back of somebody's car. It was coming along the sea. My goodness, the guys running dinghies were making a killing bringing the beetle nut along the sea. We didn't stop beetle nut. And to be honest, the city was only clean for about eight days, and that was because they stopped the buses. Sent the street cleaners through, clean it all up before all the overseas delegates get here. Prohibition does not stop them from dating. You know what it does? It just encourages their wicked heart to find a different wicked way to do it. And then you lost the, the ability to speak into their life. The goal here is for us to be able to help them shape these life decisions. And so set boundaries, not prohibition. Another practical help, vet the suitors. Boy, I don't think that's a word that you've heard very often. Vet the suitors. Here's what I mean by vet them. Vet them. We just came to the end of 
polling cycle, I think. We're at the end. And I hope that before you put one, two, and three, I hope that you thought through this person will be able to lead because of these reasons, and this person will be a good one to have as our leader for these reasons. You vetted them. You thought about it. You researched about it. You talked to other people about it. So along comes a young man, and he asks you, can I have permission to date your daughter? You don't know anything about them. You need to be asking some questions before you give a permission. Vet them. Find out who they are. Talk to somebody who, so that you know who they are. We've got a missionary here today. Dominic Kelly is here today. Before we invited him in, I didn't know him. Before we invited him in, I talked to his pastor. I want to know who he is. I want to know about his ministry. I want to know about his life. What kind of life is, if we're going to support him financially, we need to know him. If you're going to give your daughter to him, you better know him on a much deeper level. This is more than our money. It's the greatest treasure you've got in your household. Vet the suitors. And last one, don't allow dating unchaperoned. Don't allow it. Don't allow dating unchaperoned. And I think that this one is self-explanatory. Last week I quoted Vody Balcom. Today I'll do it again. Vody Balcom said it like this regarding dating unchaperoned. He said, why would you send a lady to do a man's job? Let that sink in for a minute. Because, Dad, you are her spiritual head. You're the one who should be looking after her. You're the one that's responsible for keeping her pure. And then you're going to send her off on a date with some guy that's 19 years old. Did you forget what you were like at 19 years old? And you're going to let her be the one that's going to decide for herself whether what he's doing is right or wrong? Don't leave that task. That task is yours, Dad. Don't leave that task in her hands to have to worry about. Don't let them date unchaperoned. So let them go out. Let them go have a date. Let them spend time together. Encourage that someone else be there. Double date. I don't care. Two guys, two ladies, the, two, the four of them sitting around. They can talk about their future all they want. But don't let them go unchaperoned. In this I say, guard their hearts. So brothers and sisters, we can do this. We can. I'm currently doing pre-marriage counseling for Braxton and Brianna. We're halfway through. My pre-marriage counseling is seven weeks. David's been through it. Some of you other ones have been through it. I'm excited about our young people. We have a great group of young people that are coming to that point in life where they're going, hey, I think that this is the right one. And they're asking good questions. But the reason that I speak a sermon like this today is not so much for those who are 25 years old. It's for the ones that are 12. I have a vision we have a whole big group of 12-year-olds that are growing up in our church. And we've got about 10 years to get it right. Don't hear me say 10 years so we have plenty of time. No, we have 10 years. It takes a lot of time to do point one and point two well. We have 10 years for these young people. And then guess what? Right on the heels of them the following year, we've got a bunch of 11-year-olds and then a bunch of 10-year-olds, and then a bunch of 9-year-olds. We've got a whole bunch of young kids that are growing up in this church, and we have the opportunity right now to get this right. 
And so I'm going to ask some of you 25-year-olds, help us model this for the 12-year-olds. When it comes time for you to get married, don't just think of, well, right now, I don't really feel comfortable, and there's nothing in the Bible that says i got to come do this in the church. Guess what? You come and do it, you're going to set a model for the 12-year-olds. And when I say the 12-year-olds, I think of the guys like Toa Paul. 12 years old. And Lakobab Miri, and Heva Rose Bala, and Ashton Chris, and Elizabeth Torin, Albie Absalon, Libby Naudi, Zach Sr., Aspen Perry, Jefferson and Ellison Wetia, Jezaniah Simololo, Phoebe Agima, Moses Bala. You see what I mean? We have a whole group of 12 year olds. And they need moms and dads to model this well for them. I don't want them to get to marriage age and go, what's it supposed to be like? This is our opportunity, moms and dads, to set this for them. So could I ask you to stand with me in prayer and invite you to come around the altar with your family? We only have 10 years left to do this right. You grab your family, moms and dads, grab your kids and bring them around the altar. We're going to have a closing prayer together, so you just come on down. When I pray a blessing over my children, I love to put my hands on their heads. I think there's an image there in the Old Testament of Jacob putting his hands on the sons Ephraim and Manasseh. And so I might ask you, you're welcome, come and join us, come around the altar. I might ask you, pray a blessing over your children. Today, we are a covenant community. We're a faith family. And we got a lot of young people that are wondering, what's life going to look like? What do I do? How do I do this? Can I beg you? Determine that you're going to do it well. Father, together with my brothers and sisters this morning, I pray for these young people. What a difficult, complex topic. And Lord, I pray that my voice would not have been canceled this morning because of the color of my skin. God, some of us have failed. We didn't do it right. We confess our sin to you. You said that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Some of us are afraid that we're going to lose the opportunity to have a future relationship, and so we're sacrificing the current. Oh God, I pray you'd forgive us for that. And for those of us that just don't know, I pray you'd help us to do it well. Even maybe this is countercultural. This is against what society says. But God, I pray that we as a church, covenant community, would look after one another. Yeah, when one of us is going to get married at Nature Park, we all show up. One of us is going to get married in the church, we all come in and celebrate. Oh, Father, I pray for our children. Would you bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them? Would you give them peace? 
And may they generation upon generation carry the name of Jesus and proclaim it long after we're gone. For God, I don't care if I'm successful if my grandchildren don't love Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray that we would do it well today so that your name would be proclaimed for generations through our families. Ask these beautiful things in the name of your beautiful Son. Amen. Thank you, church. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709 Again, it's 709-1000.